This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Um, I had to tell my wife a little bit ago, I said, hey, I was getting a little dizzy after the closing of the last song. That's not a big deal, okay? A couple months ago, I had surgery, and part of that process was that I would get really dizzy and vagal and, you know, like collapse to the ground. It was weird. Um, And so there's just this commitment between the wife and I that, hey, heads up, just letting you know, I was a little shaky. And so I did not eat a donut. I did drink a Powerade. I had some, some snack, I guess, but she's like watching me, and now you are too. You're watching me too, like it's a NASCAR race. Like, I hope someone wins, but boy, it'd be great to see him crash. Um, But I have to respect certain parts of um, this surgery that I went through. I have to respect the nature of of what happened to me uh, so that I can do all the things that I feel that God's asking me to do, right? Does that make sense? Maybe you've gone through that or you've gotten to a certain place in life where something has happened to you and you have to respect that. Maybe you sit down with the doctor and says, hey, we've been looking at your numbers and you just need to know that this is where things are. You're going to have to respect that and make some changes so that you can continue to do the things that you enjoy doing. Yeah. I say that because God has a nature we must learn how to respect. If you will relate to God, you must respect his nature. That there are certain things that scripture tells us are part of his essence. Part of his being that you cannot ignore. They're there. A couple weeks ago, uh, we unpacked a passage in John chapter 4 where where Jesus says that God is spirit. He is spirit, not a spirit. He isn't a spirit. He is spirit. And those who would worship him, those who would relate to him must respect that and worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning what? I engage God through prayer. I engage God through worship. I engage God spiritually. Last week, we talked about that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And we are to respect that if we would relate to God. Light, no darkness. Not a light like you see up here, but he is pure. He is illuminating. And those who would come into his presence, those who would walk with him, must walk a life of holiness. Confessing sin. Being in the light as he is in the light. And today we're going to tie all this up as we talk about what it means that God is love. And all of the above. And all of the above. To help us do that, we're going to do what we do at this church. We're going to open the Bible. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4.
We're going to read verses 7 down through 12. I'd ask that you'd follow along. Um, if you have a set of notes, they might be helpful for you to write things down, passages that we're looking at or ideas that get your attention or maybe questions that you might have. If you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Ryan asked that I don't move very much. That's not me vagling or going down. That's just... 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to read down through verse 12. You follow along. Okay. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Love seems to be a, a big deal to John. In fact, that word is recorded more times, more densely here in this passage than any other place. What does it mean that God is love? And why does it matter to us? Love's a popular word. It's a common word. We put it on cards. We put it on posters. We sing about it. We write about it. We color about it. We dance about it. But what does it mean when it says God is love? Because you can say love and I can say love and the Bible can say love and we cannot be saying the same thing. All last summer, we spent the summer uh, opening up 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which talks about this word here, agape, which means a sacrificial devotion. If you're writing things down that you want to try to remember, that's something that I would remember. When it's talking about what love is here, the kind of love that God is, it means a sacrificial devotion. I am so committed to you and your well-being, your flourishing, your growth, your restoration. I will sacrifice. I will pay the price to see you formed into the likeness of Christ. I will pay the price to see you formed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what love is. That's what that love is. And when it says that God is love, God is a sacrificial devotion. In everything that he does, you cannot separate and pull that out. In every movement, in every word, in every relationship, in every circumstance, that dominates, permeates God and his relation to us. Well, how, how can we understand that this morning so that we can better relate to God? John helps us. He gives us uh, some observations, some ways of unpacking that. And one of them comes in verse, uh, verse 9. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest. Okay, this love is felt. If you're writing things down, this love is felt. That word manifest is more than just a cognitive recognition. It's a sensory experience. It's embodied. How many of you have listened to a song and it has moved you? Yeah. It gave you the, the, the fuzzies, right? Yeah. You've read a story, you've watched a movie, and it, it got a hold of you. It got you in the feels, we say sometimes in our house. Get you right there. It manifests. It is a sensory experience. I was, uh, we had a friend over last night, and she had just come back from vacation. She'd read some books. I like to know, hey, you read anything good? Have you read anything good? Always looking for a good book. I love a good book. And she says, oh, my goodness. It was a book called The In-Between. It was a testimony and account of a hospice nurse relating what it's been like on the floor. And some of the things that she saw seemed to transcend people, no matter what faith, background, heritage they had. And she said, and this is what she said, she says, oh, I get goosebumps just thinking about the story. Manifest, manifest. Someone else came up to me uh, after the first service and, and they said, um, uh, they went and had Chinese food last night. And when she eats good food, it give her, gives her the shivers. You, know, you ever do that? You eat something so good, it's like, whoo. She says, well, it manifests. God's love is manifest in what? What's that manifestation come from? That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. We experience God's love and that love is manifest as we behold the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's so much more than a cognitive recognition of what he has done. It's more than a math equation, a formula, a postulate. It's an impassioned reality. You can feel it. You can feel it. God's love is felt, it's sensed. One of my sons, they were having a friendly discussion with a friend and they wanted to know why the cross? Why the cross? What's the big deal? What's the point? Why, why go through all the hassle? That's a good question. I mean, if God is all powerful and God is all knowing and God can do anything, why go through? Can't he just come down and Jesus gone like this and it's paid? Or, as Adam and I were talking, uh, we're working on the foundations lessons for our catechism program here at the church. You know, why couldn't Jesus have just gone into the temple and they give him a good Roman soldier's death and be done with it? Right? Blood spilt, account covered, done. Why the cross? Why the mocking? The beating? scourging, hanging hour upon hour upon hour, the most heinous form of execution. 
designed to humiliate and shame as these traitors of the state hang naked, literally nailed to pieces of wood, left to the elements. In this, the love of God is demonstrated to us. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. The godly dying for the ungodly. God's love is manifest. It's felt. It's who he is. Maybe you've experienced that in a service, in a moment of prayer, in a song, in a time of crisis, the, the love of God drawing near to you, wrapping around you. It's felt. It's not just felt, but it goes first. It goes first. In verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hey, there you go. How many of you use that word on your Facebook feed lately? Propitiation. What are you thinking about? The propitiation of Jesus. What does that mean? Let's talk about how God's love goes first. It's not that I'm lovable, so God loves me. Because God is love. That is how he relates to his creation. His love goes first. Not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us. That his son would be a propitiation. What does that mean? Well, if we were in the Old Testament and took that word, that word would be atonement. Atonement, referring to a very specific day in the rhythm of Israel. A high holy day. And that day had very few characters, each one's very important, as they outplay what's happening. On the Day of Atonement, it's a high holy gathering in front of the tabernacle, in front of the temple. The high priest is there. He's made sure he's washed top to bottom. He's cleansed as much as he can be cleansed. And he's put on a simple white robe. He's one of the people. He doesn't have any of his priestly garbs on. He's just the one standing there on behalf of the people, on behalf of mankind. And there's two lambs, two animals, unblemished. One of them will be sacrificed. He'll slay that animal and he'll collect the blood. And then he will go through with the blood and cleanse the tabernacle. We mean cleanse. The tabernacle is the place of God's dwelling with mankind on earth. It is where God has said, we're going to overlap. I'm in my kingdom, my heaven space. You are on earth, okay? But we're going to overlap a space and that overlap space is going to be the tabernacle. That's where I'll make myself known. That's where my throne will be. But as you can imagine, because we as human beings are corrupt, are treasonous, are sinful, that infecting, infestation of sin permeates everything, even that tabernacle. So once a year on the day of atonement, 
The high priest takes that blood as a sacramental gesture to touch everything, to have it cleansed through the blood. Whether it's the altar or the basin, poles, garments. He works his way into the holies and then this is the one time during the year where he can go into the holy of holies. That inter sanctum where the Ark of the Covenant is only happens this time. This is God's presence. And he takes that blood and he puts it over the covering. The place of to say propitiation is to say the place of restoration, the place of atonement. The cross is the place of God's love encountering humanity. On the day of atonement, the high priest does the work, the lamb is sacrificed, and then that other animal is led out, bearing the burden of sin out into the wilderness. They are the players. They're the participants. But when we move into the New Testament and the sacrifice and the scope of Jesus Christ, God says, I do all the work. You break it, I bought it. You corrupted it, I cleansed it. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. As Jesus became the high priest to go before the presence of God with his perfect blood. As Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb to cleanse the space. As Jesus is taken outside of the city to bear the burdens of all of our sins. His love goes first. Why does this matter? Why does good theology and good doctrine matter? That's what we're doing. We're doing the work of theology, okay? This is heavy lifting. Why is it important? How many of you have thought this? Or know someone who says this? I'll go to church as soon as I get my act together. I'll pray as soon as I make it right. I'll read scripture, but I've got to take care of a few things first. That's, that's not good theology. Because it's not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us. Broken, sinful, corrupted, and treasonous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Atonement. He stands before us in death. He stands before us and the plague of sinfulness. He takes the hit, not because we are lovable, but because God in his very nature is love. That's all that he can do. A, a friend of mine um, knows how much I appreciate Civil War history 
He too is a big Civil War buff. He's much more so. Like I'm Pee Wee Leak. He's varsity. Like he goes to all the battlegrounds and knows. And he collects journals uh, from that time period. Journals from Confederate soldiers, from Union soldiers, their correspondence back and forth. And he just sent me something. He says, hey, I thought you might appreciate it. It was a letter from a Confederate soldier who was at Pickett's charge to his wife reflecting on a dream that he had about that engagement. If you don't know anything about the Civil War, this will be awesome. You'll love this. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, and you're like, oh, great, here he goes. Okay, Pickett's Charge, the, the great battle at the close of Gettysburg. Gettysburg, the bloodiest three days in American history. Talking about hundreds of thousands. Blood upon blood upon blood, all culminating as the Union are up on the hill and the Confederate are three-quarter miles away across this open field. And General Lee says, all right, this is what we're going to do. Pickett just gets the shaft. There are multiple generals involved, but Pickett's the one who has this disaster named after him. We're going to take over 12,000 soldiers and we're going to march them across open field three quarters of a mile to converge on this one point in the Union line. We'll bombard it, we'll bombard it, but we'll break through the line. Twelve, over 12,000 soldiers. Maybe you've been to Gettysburg. Maybe you've seen the field. Maybe you know the story. Here's the dark reality of the 12,000 soldiers that step out on Pickett's charge, half will not come back. Some killed, some wounded, some captured. 50% won't come back. That means if I'm standing there and I'm waiting for the field commander to give us the step off, if I'm here and my friend's right there, one of us isn't coming back. Right here, one of us is not coming back. Upon reflection, afterwards, with his whole division sent forward, Pickett himself reflects back. I have no division. They're gone. A soldier in that march writes back to his wife about a dream he had in remembering that day in that battle. And I wanted to read it for you. He writes to his wife, Far away to the front, I saw the dim outlines of lofty hills and broken rocks frightful precepts which resembled Gettysburg. As we advanced further, I found we were fighting that great battle over again, and I saw something before me, like a thin shadow, which I tried to get around and go by. But it kept in front of me, whichever way I turned. It still appeared between me and the enemy, Nobody else seemed to see or notice the shadow, which looked as thin as smoke and did not prevent my seeing the enemy distinctly through it. I felt troubled, oppressed, but still the shadow went on before me. I pushed forward in the thicket 
in the thickest of the fray, trying to lose sight of it. And I went all through the Battle of Gettysburg again with this shadow before me, always forever before me, between me and the enemy. And when I came out of danger, behind shot, it spoke to me and said, I am the angel that protected you. I will never leave. I will never forsake you. The surprise was so great that I awoke with the burst of tears. What had I done that should entitle me to such favor beyond the hundreds of brave and reputed men who had fallen on that day, leaving widowed mothers, widowed wives, orphaned children, disconsolate families to mourn their fate. What had I done to merit such love? Nothing. It's not that we are lovable, but that he loves us. And going to the cross stands between us and the enemy, between us and sin and death. Love goes first. A sacrificial devotion. His love is felt. His love is first. But that love is also formational. This is important. Formational. The beginning of this passage in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Born of God and knows God. Literally, to be born of means to be fathered by. God's love has fathered me. It has nurtured and cared for me. It is shaping me into the way a good father shapes the son, shapes the daughter into something. The love of God is forming me into something. Born and know God means I have a close acquaintance, a close relationship with God. God's love is turning me into a loving child that loves others. Why does that matter? That means through the circumstances and the situations of life, I process those situations through God's love instead of processing God's love through my circumstances. What do I mean? I get cancer. God must hate me. God must hate me. But that's not true, is it? God is love. Which means despite the circumstance, I know that God who is love is working out the good for me. That through that cancer, disease, hardship, difficulty, his love is working and forming me. She left me. He left me. Our marriage is falling apart. God must hate me. 
No. God is love. Which means, despite my circumstances, I will process and see my circumstances through the filter of God's ever-forming, shaping love, making me into the image of Jesus Christ. If this is true, God is love, forming the love that goes first, the love that saves and reaches and transforms. And is it God's love that saves me? Is, is it God's love that grows me? Is it God's love that shows the kingdom? Well, what is it that Jesus said? And they will know you by your love. The light that radiates from a church isn't its power or its principles or its postulates, but it's our love one for another. Is that why again and again and again the apostle John holds us accountable to the love of God because God is love. Because you have been born of love, you are to love one another. But why then will we try to leverage power? Why then are we so committed to being right? It's not the light that saves. It's God's love that saves. I want you to see how all three of these work together. It's not spirit or light or love, but it's all of the above. It's all of the above. God is spirit. And yet in his love, he manifests his presence and he manifests his love to me. I experience God through his love. And God is spirit. And I can't set aside the fact that God is light and he is pure and he is radiant. In him there is no darkness at all. So what am I to do, this corrupted, fallen, treasonous human being? How can I walk with him in the light of day when his very presence would annihilate me in my sinfulness? And that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. His light demands his love. And isn't it his love which creates a spiritual birth and renewal in me? His love that fathers me so that I can walk with him who is spirit. From the first page of the book to the last page of the book, 
God is spirit. God is light. God is love. If, if you've been reading through the Bible with me uh, through the year, you've bumped into this recently, even as fact as early as this morning. If you were in Psalm 5, let me show you how these three truths rise up. Psalm 5. Spirit, light, love. Psalm 5, the, David, this is David speaking. This is 1000 B.C., okay, if you want to put a date on it. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King, my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Remember, if God is spirit, then we must engage him spiritually, which is worship and prayer. He says, God, I worship you. God, I, I pray to you. Verse four, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful should not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If you will relate to God, you must respect the holiness of God. That our sinfulness hides the holy face of God from our presence. He will not look upon such things. But he continues, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Your love, God, has drawn me into your presence. I fear, I mean, I breathe your presence in. It's manifest in me and I want to get closer to you. I move closer to you because I've experienced your steadfast love. Not that we have loved him, but that he loved us. That's 1000 BC. If you were to move forward about 400 years, you come to the prophet Jeremiah. Some of you guys have been reading through Jeremiah. That's a real pick-me-up, right? That's good stuff. That's just happy, happy things happening in the book of Jeremiah. How wonderful Jeremiah is. That's not true at all, is it? Because Israel will not respect God's nature. Israel will not respect that he is spirit and he is light and he is love. They just, they, they like, they want God to love him. They just don't want to have to obey him. We're the same way. But because Israel will not heed the prophet's warning, will not walk in the light of God's light, God will let all the consequences of their choices fall upon them in the wrathful hand of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and they will be wiped out. And, pro and the prophet Jeremiah writes about this. But listen in Jeremiah 33, how again, the light and the love of God collide. And if we would relate, we must respect. This is Jeremiah 33. Let me read verse 4. Jeremiah 33, verse 4, down through 9. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
concerning the houses of this city, the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. Okay? Talking about how Jerusalem is falling and they take the city and they tear everything down so they can just build up the walls to try to stay safe in the midst of their own corruption and failure. Verse 5. They're coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Some people, that's their only view of God. God must hate me. Well, you're a fool and you make dumb choices. So I'm sure it can feel like that sometimes. They are feeling, they are sensing of what it means to walk or not walk in a relationship with a God that is light. He says, I've hidden my face from you. But look at verse six. Behold, meaning, but notice, I will bring to it health and healing and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sins against me. I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good I do to them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. The love of God, light and love. Why does that matter? Because we are participating in a culture and a country that likes God's love while we try to walk in the night. And if history has taught us anything, we are in a collision course of our own making and it will be our undoing. So we as a church, if we will be the light, must learn how to walk in love. If you want them to know the light of the sun, let them know the warmth of the sun. There's a lot of things to think about here. And before we come to the table, I just want to create some space for us to think on it. Someone sent me a song a while ago and it kind of captivated me and my challenges in my faith over the last 45 years. And we're going to play it. And I just want you to do what this passage says and reflect upon the sacrifice of Christ. See in that gift his light and his love intersecting that we would have life. After this song, I'll come back up. I'll ask us some guiding questions and then we'll come to the table.
sometimes marriages don't work And sometimes babies die Sometimes rehab turns to relapse And you're left just asking why And for all the prayers I pray I still wonder if he's real And if he is, how is he choosing Who he does and doesn't heal I've tried to run from Jesus I've started holy wars I've tried the patient waiting And the kicking down the doors I've cursed his name in anger With my fist raised to the sky And in return All he's ever been is kind burn my share of bridges I learned to tuck my tail and run to watch the wreckage in the rear view from all the crooked things I've done and I know that he forgives me but it's hard to forgive myself I can't help but think amazing grace is for everybody else I've tried to run from Jesus Tried the patient waiting and the kicking down the doors. I've cursed this day in anger with my fist raised to the sky. And in return, all he's ever been is kind. All he's ever been is kind. Tonight in our foundations program, our catechism uh, plan here at House on the Rock, our students begin their study of the Apostles' Creed, of, of forming and shaping the mind to understand truth as God has given us. For I believe in God the Father. Why does that matter? For I believe in Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? For I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Good thinking matters. Why is it important for you to know and walk in and practice that God is spirit, that God is light, that God is love, what we call just good theology? Because life happens. I've taken a lot of tests in my time. I've taken a lot of tests, lots of tests. 
from first grade through high school, through college, through seminary. Did well on some, not so well on others. Sometimes you were fighting for the answer. What's the right answer? Took tests from my mom. You gonna pick that up? This is a test, isn't it? Sometimes I got the answer right, sometimes I got the answer wrong. But here, this truth, God is spirit, God is light, God is love, it's all of the above. When life happens through the test, the trial, the temptation. When you come and you sit with me at my table in my office. Why did he do that? Why did he leave? God is spirit. He is with us in this. He is with them in that. God is light. God is light. And our choices have consequences. But God is love. Meaning he is good. And he works all things out. Paul, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. Paul, I don't, I, I don't know. This is a disaster, Paul. I, I don't, this is beyond me. God, I don't know what we're going to do, Paul. God is spirit. He's with you in this. He's with us in this. And he is for you. He is not against you. In fact, he's going to take this to shape you into the image of his son. before Adam comes up and before we walk away, let's just ask ourselves three questions. If God is spirit, am I relating to him spiritually? Do I practice a life of prayer and worship? I meet him in that space. Are you relating to him spiritually? Maybe that's a place for you to grow. I'm gonna talk about our next series at the end of the gathering about prayer. If God is light, am I walking in holiness? Am I walking in the light or am I practicing darkness? Pretending that, well, God's love after all. Can I get away with it? Oh, oh, whatever is done in the dark is brought into the light. You don't get away with anything. Let's walk in the light as he is in the light. If God is love, Am I receiving and sharing that same sacrificial devotion as I walk with everybody God created? Because God is spirit and God is light. God is love. It's all of the above. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you to be gracious to you. And may that light and love, may you find peace. Amen. Amen. Adam.
Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.